Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we get started today, I wanted to share a testimonial from my six-month leadership programme. A delegate from the University of the Arts London says, I would wholeheartedly recommend this programme to anyone invested in being the best leader they can be. If this is you and you want to know more, click on the link in the show notes or head over to my website www.fishclimbtrees.co.uk. Today, we're going to be diving into the world of communication. With every client I have ever worked with, communication has always been part of the problem and the solution, no matter what the project. My guest today started out his career in residential life, in universities. But since then, he's specialised in communication and he now works with leaders and their teams to help them communicate clearly, lead effectively, present powerfully, listen attentively and make a greater impact. If you are wanting to improve your communication, then this is one conversation you are not going to want to miss. I'm so excited to be chatting to him today. Please welcome Patrick Donadio. Did I say your surname right? You said it exactly right if we were in Italy, Mel. That was beautiful. In Italy, it's Donadio. Donadio. What a yeah. beautiful surname. Right. And here in the States, we say Donadio. <laughs> Donadio. Yeah, that's a bit like mine. Luizu, Luizu, you know. What's in a name? What's in a name? Yeah. But absolutely wonderful to be speaking with you today. I know this is going to be a really high energy, really useful conversation for people. Perhaps a place to start would be for you to share a little bit of your career journey, knowing, of course, that you started out in universities. I did, and it was the best thing, the best experience being a resident assistant my uh, undergrad years. And then, of course, I promoted myself right through the roles. I became an assistant resident director. Then I became a graduate resident director when I was getting my MBA, and then I became a full-time area director where I managed two residence halls. And then I became an assistant coordinator where I had a whole part of campus with 19 residence halls. And so I attribute everything that I think has happened in my personal and professional life to my experiences in residence life. Uh, so when, of course, I left university, mostly because I was in a university town and there really wasn't a lot of opportunities to do a lot of other things. And I took a job as an association director where actually the job I got was related to the university experience because I was chairing a crime prevention committee on campus and I got a job with the Crime Prevention Association and worked there for a couple of years. And really early on, Mel, I just decided I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I just 
quit my job and, and said, I can be a speaker because I was hiring speakers and off I went. I love mac and cheese. And so the first couple of years, it was a little struggle. But here I am 30 some years later doing what I love, which is making an impact on others and helping people become better communicators and better leaders. Oh, what a fantastic story. Next time I see you, because we met face to face, didn't we, in Dublin, not so long ago. So next time we meet, we'll have to go out for a drink and you can share all your stories with me because I'm sure you (laughs) over 30 years, you must have loads and loads. So let's take it back because I know now, as I said at the beginning, you talk very much about communication and you have a process called impact that you use. So Explain to me a little bit, what is the impact process? Yes, well, I'm a big systems kind of person, and I got to go to Japan as a Goodwill ambassador uh, back in the 90s. And while I was in Japan, uh, I experienced a lot of what I learned from Deming, who was an American who went over to Japan to help the auto industry take off. And I also learned the importance of what I call continuous learning or Kaizen. So when I got back to the States, I wanted to take a look at what I was doing and say, can I kind of systematize or process something? So I came up with this acronym IMPACT. And I know people think like, well, acronyms, you know, that's just a way to make something fit in. But literally, I worked really hard to make sure that this this wasn't just an acronym, but it was really six keys that help people become a better communicator. So let me just quickly review the six. And then I think we talked a little bit beforehand about maybe focusing on three today. So Here's the impact process. Again, it's an acronym for the easy to remember. The I stands for the intention. Every communication starts with a thought, right? So what's the intention? Take a few moments before you start doing anything and stop and think before you speak. (laughs) That's the I step. The M is the message and the method. So we talk a lot about there are different ways to communicate and more so today than ever. We have a variety of methods we one can use. And I like to discuss how do you craft a message that is going to help you achieve the intention. So the intention is kind of like the core of everything we're doing. That's the M step. The P is now how do you personalize the message? Because as you know, Mel, we're all different. No one's exactly the same. We have introverts and extroverts. We have, you know, younger people and older people. We have highly educated. We have, you know, there's a variety of different people. So you want to make sure that you don't just try to say the same thing to everybody. So how do you personalize the message is the P step. Now the IMP is it kind of like the planning of the communication? I am planning, I am P, right? And then the ACT, the ACT, is how do you plan the delivery, right? So the A is activate. So how do you activate the message and how do you stay activated? So I've talked a lot about listening skills, active listening skills, and of course, engagement, which is very, very popular. The C is clarify. And as we all know, a lot of times the meaning of the message doesn't always come from the sender. It really comes from the receiver. And so how do you make sure the message you sent is exactly the same message that they received? So you got to clarify. And then the T, I call this the secret sauce. Uh, The T is transform. And I explore two types of transformations that have to happen, again, to transform your words, your actions, and your communication into the intention. There's an internal transformation, which we don't talk a lot about. And then there's an external transformation. So that's like a high-level version of the two-day workshop <laughs> of, uh, of the impact process. So uh, let's talk about whatever you think would be most helpful to our listeners today 
Um, but we could start with maybe the first three, if you like. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. I mean, you know, two days into 30 minutes might be a big ask. <laughs> Let's say one day into 30 minutes, that's still a big ask. But you're a communications <laughs> expert, so I'm sure that we can get there. But but yeah, I think it'd be great if we could do the imp part of it. That would be really fantastic. So yeah. you said I is for intention and yes. thinking about that intention and it's so interesting isn't it because how many times do we get something in our inbox usually I think that's when people least think I think if it's face to face there's a little bit more of a step back but but certainly we get something into our inbox and we just bash out a reply so what do you say to your clients to stop that happening? Well, I tell you, the first thing I say to them is, you know what? We all have 30 seconds. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's just catching yourself and making sure you stop and just ask this question. Why am I communicating? Why am I responding? So a lot of people start with the what, but I think it's really important to take a look at the why. So when you think about like, what are some intentions for communicating while well, you can Maybe your intention is to inform. It might be to discover. It might be to persuade. You know, it might be to build a relationship. It might be to give feedback. Those are all different intentions. And guess what? Each intention would require some different approach. If I'm here to discover, I would be hopefully asking a lot more questions. If I'm here to inform, I'd be doing more talking. So again, this is the easiest step. Doesn't take but sometimes less than 60 seconds, but yet it's the one I find most people skip most often because we're all impatient and we want to just jump in. We do. And we just want to get on and we're busy people. And actually, I will just bash this out. And it's in my head now. So so off I go. And actually, you, you are right. So it takes the least amount of time. But I also think that often, if we don't do that, it can actually cause the biggest negative impact. And we spend so long trying to get back from that. And sometimes we can't because it's gone and it said, and and you can't retract it. Yes. And again, it, it I look at it as an investment, right? Invest 60 seconds, because sometimes you're going to save yourself 20 minutes or maybe even, you know, three hours because you didn't think before you speak. So I've got two simple techniques. I want to give value to our listeners tonight so they can really pick up some great ideas. So the first technique is this. Just simply ask yourself this question. Why am I communicating? What am I trying to accomplish? That's the easiest approach. Uh, the other one that I like to do is I have something called the laser focused intention, which is in the book. And it's a little more complicated than it's one you would use for maybe a more complicated communication where you actually have a template and you ask yourself some like, I'm going to talk about blank with blank so that they will think, do or feel something by a certain time frame or deadline. So by simply like walking through this formula, again, it doesn't take but 60 seconds. You start to get pretty clear about why am I trying to have this conversation and what's the most important piece? So the I is basically think before you speak. And then I like to say my little catchphrase is intent drives content. So once you're clear about the intent, then you can jump in to think about the message and the method, which is the next step. Oh, love that. And what a beautiful way to segue into number two. I'm just thinking about how to spell it. <laughs> I M. We're on M now. Yeah. And as I said, the M is for the message and the method. So let's start with the method first. 
because I do think your intention could determine, you know, what's the right method. There's so many methods, right? And we all have our favorite, right? I don't know about you, but my favorite is a phone call or face-to-face. -face. I'm an extrovert. I love people. I'd rather do something like we're even, even a video to me is more, uh, more appealing to me than sitting down and typing an email. So we all have a preference. So I think once you know the intention, then think about what might be the best method. So if my intention, Mel, is to build some kind of relationship, and as you know, you know, in higher education and res life, you know, we have staff and we have teams. And so there's a lot of relationship building. Well, the best way to build a relationship is not to send a text or an email, but to have a phone call and maybe even more importantly, have a face-to-face -face conversation. So again, pick the right method for the intention. Now, I got a question for you, Mel. What would you say is your preference? What, what do you prefer in terms of methods? If you had to Say you have a favorite method. What would that be for you in communicating? Face to face. Can't beat it. Face to face. Yeah. Can't beat it. Yeah. And I'm with you. But here's, here's the thing I want listeners to be thinking about. We have to not think about our preference, but the preference of the receiver. So we tend to go to what we like. I mean, again, I'm a natural. I would, I'd rather pick up the phone. But this is something I learned from my kids. Now, I have adult children. They're out of the house and grown and they have real jobs and all that fun stuff. But I remember when we started communicating I would send them an email and they, first of all, I got scolded, you know, oh, Dad, we don't use emails. That's for work. Okay, great. Then I try to call them. The voicemail box is full, right? So then I realized that the best way to reach them is to send a text. Now, even then I may not get a response. That's my least favorite method, but that's the one that they prefer. So I start with that one. And I, then I try to move them to a more, you know, palatable method for me. So I think again, in the M step, don't just assume that because you like a phone call, or you like email that the receiver is going to like that, or that's going to be the best method. You know, one of the challenges I find when I'm working with my leaders is that they want to solve all these problems, you know, virtually by email or by, you know, text. And I say, look, if it's a complicated issue, just get on the phone. Because an email, by the way, an email is a linear form of communication. There's nobody there to give any feedback. So it's the highest form that can be interpreted, you know, confusingly because there's no feedback. So, Again, just and we can spend a lot more time on the method. I just want to remind people, A, don't think about your preference. Think about the receiver's preference and then think, what's the best method to help me best achieve the intention? Okay. So I have a question for you now. Yes. Because absolutely, that makes complete sense to me. It's, it, you know, everything that we do is never really about us. It's about the person that, that we're dealing with. It, their response is actually what we're looking for. So, and this is quite prevalent. Uh, not just across higher education, but but lots of organisations. When you are dealing with difficult topics like redundancies and those challenging conversations, should they ever be done by email? Irrespective of whether the person's preference is email. Again, I like email because it is tangible it is permanent and it is a record right but that doesn't mean i have to start there so if i for example want to make sure that i have good documentation i might have a phone call and then follow up with an email or i can put in there all the kind of things that we talked about to make sure that there's a paper trail right but i know with a complicated topic that a email is going to maybe make it sometimes even more difficult or more confusing and it could take more time so I agree with you that, you know, there are certain methods that we like to use, but I'm saying pick the right method to start with. And you can use multiple methods. Yeah. And you can use an email to set up a phone call. Yeah. 
or you can use a, a phone call and then follow up with an email. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it does. I think I would say that as a sector, we will go to email more often than perhaps we should, because I think that it's, it's like you said, and, and I knew it, but you reminded me of it, that email communication is linear. And actually, when we are delivering bad news, we need to be able to, I believe, respond to people in that moment. So if you are doing a communication one way, you are absolving yourself of any responsibility to react to how the person is reacting to that information. And that's a really interesting nuance that I hadn't thought about before. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And again, I think with with the email, is, you know, email is fine and texting is okay with something simple like, are you enjoying me for dinner tonight? Yes. <laughs> you know, you know but, but when you say, uh, boy, I'm really upset with you because of the way you handled, you know, that last interaction, that's something you probably would try to get to a phone call or in person if possible, because you're right. You don't really know how they're taking the information. And I give a quick example. Early on, I do a lot of presentation skills coaching person sent me a video to watch it before we got together. And I sent them a note back and I said, well, you know, um, nice job on that video. Uh, well, let's talk about a couple of things. And they said, nice job. I, I did a lot of work on that. What do you mean? Nice. I guess I should have said supercalifragilisticexpialidocious job. You know, I mean, so even the word like nice or good or great, you know, could be interpreted differently. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's the end. We're whizzing through these at the moment. We might yeah. be able to get through all six. What is the P? Well, you know, before we jump into the P, let's talk about the message because we did talk about the method, right? Again, there, I'm tricked you because there's two parts to the M. Ah. Normally there's one, but the M is a little bit bigger. So the message then is, of course, you picked the right method, but the message is, and this is, let's go back to one-on-one, right? Every good message has an opening, a body, and a closing. And I find that some people are good at all three. Some people are really good at two of the three. And some people struggle with one of them. So I'm curious, just for you, Mel, what would you say is your weakest of the three openings, bodies, or closings? Oh, what a good question. I would say I always do all three. Or I would like to think I do all three. I would say probably my most difficult would be closing. Okay. Because sometimes it is very difficult to close a conversation down or you've got somebody that is really talkative and you're thinking, right, OK, I, I really need to get on or we're going off topic. Or, right. So actually, I think sometimes closing things down is probably my most difficult one. But yeah. thank you for that question. Wow. Well, and I want the listeners to be thinking about this also, because, again, they're all important, whether it's an email or you're doing a presentation or even a phone call. Right. What you say in the first few moments is going to get their attention, right? Introduce the content and build some kind of relationship. And what you do at the end is going to help them feel a way or leave with some kind of action. So they're all important. So, anyways, the three parts I think are, are very important. I talk a lot about crafting content, and we're not going to have time to do that today. Uh, but what I do tell people is just make sure that you try when you're going to craft some big content like a report or maybe a presentation is think of using a nonlinear approach, like a mind map or a post-it notes or something like that. Don't just take out a piece of paper or a PowerPoint and say, okay, 
here's what I want to cover, you know, one, two, three, four, five. I, I'd rather say, what would I like to cover? Throw a bunch of ideas out there and then say, okay, of these six, here are the four that I think are most important. And now this is the order I think would be most helpful. And here's a good way to open. Here's a way, good, good way to close. Yeah. And oh, you, you've got me there. I love a mind map. <laughs> me too. They're just beautiful because you can go off in all different directions. Right. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think what I'm grasping already from what you've talked about is that getting away from this idea that our communication is linear and actually it may be going off in all different directions. So if we can find strategies to help us consider that, that will make our communication better. Yes. So again, we could st- we could talk more about the M step, but I just wanted to make sure we cover both thinking about the right method, and there's a variety of tools out there, right? And crafting the right message that's going to help you achieve the intention. So if the intention is to build a relationship with a new person, then the method's probably going to be more likely in person or phone call, right? That's going to be a better way to achieve that intention. And I'm going to use you know certain kind of language in the message to make sure I'm you know building that relationship. Maybe I'm going to ask more questions because I, I want to get to know them. You know, so there's a lot of pieces and parts, but the intention drives everything. Okay. And just before we move on, I have a question about method and this whole idea that we choose the most appropriate method. And I love the example you gave of of your your children. And there is no doubt that the younger generation, that is how they are used to communicating. So what about when they come into the work environment? Have you ever worked with clients around how they can, I suppose, show people the benefits of being face-to-face and and sort of taking that more timely approach, maybe? You know, this is a question I always ask a lot of my groups when I'm doing this subject is I ask this question. How many of you know the preference of your teammates or your supervisor in terms of the method to communicate? And a lot of people say, I don't know. And I say, look, it takes like, you know, three seconds. Hey, Mel, uh, gosh, as we're working together, what what would be the best way to communicate with you if you had me to start with? Should I start with a text or an email or a phone call? What's the best way to get started? Because I'd like to know your preference. And I'll, you know, I'll try to do that if that's, you know, going to be most effective. And then you tell me. And you'll say, well, I prefer face-to-face. And I say, oh, that's great. But gee, <laughs> you're in London and I'm over here in the States. So that's not going to work, right? But but I think even just knowing what each person's preference is, is a start. And then, of course, if I know, for example, with a, a certain person, they don't like face-to-face because that's like they don't, then I would I would explain why I think it's important for us to meet. Yeah. Like I know normally we would do this, you know, over the phone, but I really think it would be helpful if we get to meet. Let me Let me explain why. And then you give them a reason. So when you think about the intention, I always remind clients, if people understand the why, they're more likely to accept the how. So know your intention and sometimes maybe even communicate your intention. Sometimes the intention is not just for you, but it's also to be communicated. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Thank you. P. What's your P? P stands for the person, right? And so we all know, do you know the golden rule? Have you heard the golden rule? Possibly, but I don't know. So tell me what the golden rule is. Well, we, we say quite often the golden rule is treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. So if, you know, like I would want to treat somebody the way I'd like to be treated. And I like the golden rule and I think it's a nice rule. But one thing I've learned in communicating is 
the platinum rule. And do you know the platinum rule? Is it that you treat people as they want to be treated rather than what you want? Right. So treat people the way they want to be treated. And actually, one of our NSA members, our National Speakers Association members, um, wrote a book on the platinum rule, Dr. Tony Alessandro, years ago. And I, when I heard that, I thought, I love that. And so in the P-step, let's talk about the platinum rule, right? So when you're going to communicate with somebody, A, again, we talked about this already, right? Pick the right method. You're going to personalize the method. That's a good part of the personalization step. And by the way, even though this is an acronym, I-M-P-A-C-T, you know, you don't have to do them in order. <laughs> Sometimes you do one and you go back and do another. I just wanted to make sure it's an easy way to remember the six steps. So you personalize the message, right? But there's a lot of ways to do that. One way would be on personality style. Another way might be by generation. Another way might be by education or experience, right? There's so many ways that we're different. So as you're beginning to craft your message, you got a great intention, you pick the right method, you know, you come up with a message, you think, okay, now I'm going to share this with Mary, who's very introverted, or I'm going to share this with Mary, who's very extroverted. Now, what she, how would I address that differently? So you spend some time thinking about the person and then personalize the message to the person. Absolutely. And um, one of the tricks, is it a trick? It's not a trick. But one of the things that I was taught early on is actually using. So if you are in communication with somebody, and I suppose email is the best way of doing this, that if somebody is talking in a specific way, you talk back in their language. So for example, I typically, when I write an email, will always say hi, whatever. But if somebody comes through to me and says, hello, or hey, which I have to admit, I'm not a great lover of hey, <laughs> as an opening, I will make sure that I go back in the way that they have communicated with me. Does that still stand? Is that still valid? I agree with you 100%. I mean, as a presenter, you know this, right? We do audience analysis. We learn about our clients before we come in and make a presentation. And I listen to the language. And if somebody says challenges, I don't say problems. I say challenges, right? I think it's important to use the language that's part of personalizing it. You know, I've done a lot of speeches with a lot of different organizations. And here in the States, we have credit unions, which are kind of like banks, but they're more of an, or of an organizational base. Like a university here might have a credit union where you become a member of this um, bank as opposed to a customer. So when I talk to credit unions, I don't say, you know, when you deal with your customers, I say when you deal with your members, because they don't have customers. So I think you're right on target, Mel. Pick the right language, even mirroring the language, which is kind of what I call that, uh, to make sure you're building a good relationship with the person. So language is one way to personalize, you know, personality style. You know, I use the DISC process. I'm not sure if you're familiar with DISC, uh, but there's many styles, right? There's Myers-Briggs and there's colors and all these things, but it's basically four quadrants. You know, personality styles were started by Hippocrates in 400 BC. This is not something new, <laughs> you know? I mean, luckily we don't use, you know, body fluids after hypocrisy use body fluid. And we're not going to do that. But my point is introvert, extrovert, analytic or relational, right? Obviously I'm an extrovert and I love being outgoing and I'm relational. I mean, I, I have all, we have all four of these, right? But my my favorite area that I lean towards is relational extrovert. So that means, you know, I love having conversations. They're gonna be longer conversations. I'm probably, my desk is a little bit messier because I'm more relational and 
So I prefer face-to-face, but if I get an email, don't make it too long because I won't read it because that's too much stuff for me. I get overwhelmed. You get the idea. So when you're thinking about communicating, personalize the message. For example, you know, when you're communicating upward, like I have folks I coach who have to go to the C-suite and make a presentation. And I say, look, let's get clear. You got to cut this down. It's got to be very short and sweet. These people are really busy. They don't have time, you know, for what you would normally do. So you even have to personalize based on the position. Yeah. And the reason I'm laughing is that I was at a meeting last night and we were going through the disc profile. And guess what? I'm a complete match for you. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we may be winding some people up who are the opposite to us right at the moment. Well, and I, I really think, again, it's not an exact science, right? I don't believe that it's perfect, but I do believe if I had to choose between just guessing or making some kind of an educated guess that you might be an introvert or an extrovert, I would prefer the educated guess. And if you're going to read people, and it's not that hard, and by the way, if people want to learn more about this, you know, that's the nice thing about the internet. You can just search personality styles and you can learn a lot about it. So, but but for example... One of the challenges you and I have, right, because we're so outgoing, is when we talk to an analytical person, let's say, you, you know, the the compliant is, is the introverted analytical. And these folks, they like details and they like things to be very precise. And I'm kind of like, hey, you know, let's hang around. Let's be loosey-goosey. So I got to work really hard to get structured and be concise and don't just say roughly this. I got to say 92.3%. You know, so I have to really think, how do I present this in a way that's going to be really more appealing to that person's style, right? So anyways, the personalization part is really, really helpful. So I hope people will remember the platinum rule, treat people the way they want to be treated, uh, which gives you the ability to then customize and personalize your content based on who you're communicating with. Perfect. And we are going to leave it there. We're not going to go into the act part, but if people want to know more, uh, there will be lots and lots of links in the show notes for people to go and find out more. You're so generous with your time, the information that you put out there for people. So people can certainly come back to that. And you never know, we might have another conversation in 2023 where we look at the the (laughs) final, the act part of, of impact. Yeah. So moving on. And I suppose stepping into my world for a little bit, when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Well, you know, uh, it's going to sound interesting, but I grew up in a blue collar family. All my grandparents came from Italy. And, you know, my biggest, deepest dive was going to college because I didn't do a lot of traveling as a youngster. We didn't go on vacations, take a lot of trips. And so when I went to um, college or the university, I had a roommate from my high school that was going to go with me. And at the last minute, he decided he wasn't going. <laughs> it's like, what? The whole reason I'm going, because you're going. I would have never gone there. Well, so I changed my mind. I'm like, oh, my God. So when I went to college, it was a deep dive for me because I'd never been away from home like that before for such a length of time. I was very insecure about my ability to, you know, to compete at the academic level. I was a good student, but I didn't have a lot of confidence. So going away to college was that big, deep dive, and it really had a big impact on me. And I tell you, one of the reasons I became a resident assistant is because of my resident assistants my freshman year. They were so good to me, and they were, you know, they knew that I was a little anxious. And I remember one one Friday night, which on Friday nights, right, everybody goes uptown and parties, and I'm in my room, and the RA comes by, and he says, what are you doing? I said, oh, I, I've got a lot of work to do. He says, well, then he sat down, and we talked about it. He says, well, 
tell me about what's going on. And so I explained a lot of my anxieties, and my fears, and, you know, I hadn't had really any exams yet. So to me, a deep dive was making that big step to go to college and the impact. And I love that word, right? That this RA had on me uh, was everlasting. And I get a little choked up now just thinking about it because it was really powerful to have someone who cared that much. Yeah. And, and so in higher ed, you know, we, I know I'm not there anymore, but I still feel like I'm there. We make a huge impact on so many people. It's an important role. And that's why I'm, I'm excited that you are taking time to really focus on that area. And do you know what? I have a lot of people listening that are in the RA field. So that story will really resonate with them. And we know, we know what a difference residential life can make to students at university there is there is no doubt so th- thank you for sharing that next question and you know what this is when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree <laughs> well that is when i started my business right i think i mentioned that a little bit earlier i i was going to work and i started out at the at the association doing training programs i was called the program director I loved it. I was out doing these workshops all around the state and I was so happy. And then my boss left and I got a chance to be promoted. And I thought, oh, good promotion. Because I had always been moving up and up and up, right? RA, ARD, all these. So I took the promotion and I hated the job because now I was stuck in the office. Now I'm dealing with budgets and the board and finances. And so I got up one day and I'm like, I don't want to go to work. And so I literally felt like, you know, a fish who had to climb a tree. I just couldn't stand it in the ocean. <laughs> so I I went in one day and I just said, look, I'm quitting. And I just left. And I thought, I, you know, I can, I'm a good speaker. I had done some speaking as a part of my job. Actually, I'd done some speaking around the, the country because we had a pretty prominent association. So I thought, how hard can this be? So that was the that was the fish climbing the tree because I had no idea of all the skills and tools I needed to make it in this industry. And that's where, again, you find great people. Like I found my great RA when I found my my colleagues at the National Speakers Association and organizations you know, like PSA that really made an impact on me. And they helped me learn how to climb that tree. And now I'm out there helping other fish climb trees and I love it. And you've been doing it for 37 years. So you are definitely, definitely <laughs> doing it. Some, something right. My business is only seven years old. If, well, I get to think how old I'll be when if, if it makes it to 37. I'd be happy with 17. That's fantastic. I love it. I love your energy. I love what you talk about. I really would encourage you, if you've enjoyed this conversation, go and go and see the rest of um, the process. It, it's absolutely worth it. So if people want to reach out, if they want to find out more, if they want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Well, obviously, the easiest way is to go to my website. It's very simple. It's patrickdonadio.com, D-O-N-A-D-I-O. Or I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. I find LinkedIn to be a wonderful tool. I have you know people all over the, the world who we've connected with, and that's a great way to stay in touch. Uh, but I, I really want to be a resource you know, for your listeners, Mel, and you know, as they take a look at the show notes, if there's something they they have or they need, just reach out to me. I'd be happy to send them the whole impact list of, of the six keys or whatever they can do, because I'm a big believer in this area. And I'm really a big, big believer in higher education and university work. So I was excited when I met you and I thought, oh, I can't wait to be on your podcast because those are my peeps. 
Lovely. Uh, and, and thank you for your generosity. I, I really hope that people will, will take you up on your offer. I mean, it's been it's been wonderful to speak to you. I mean, I've spoken to you a few times now and it's always so high energy and so full of joy and laughter, perhaps because that is that we, we, we have similar personality types. I don't know, but it has been wonderful. So it just leaves me to say, what final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? Well, Mel, first of all, thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation today. And I want to leave people with this final thought. Uh, number one, please remember, we all make an impact on other folks, and we never know the kind of impact we're going to make. So first of all, I want to just say to all your listeners who are in university work, you know, keep up the great work, because I know you're making a great impact. And I hope today, Mel and I have shared some thoughts or insights, and I'll wrap up with my favorite quote, nothing changed until you change. So take a couple ideas that Mel and I shared today, put them into practice, and I know you're going to be making a greater impact on the folks you interact with on a regular basis. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't.